Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the video teaching series, The First Commandment, God, Loving God. The First Commandment, Loving God. This is the new Lesson 8, which is actually was going to be Lesson 7, but the Holy Ghost uh, talked about what he wanted to talk about, which was not this. So I'm back talking about living by the Lord's love, which, of course, that is the subject of the last lesson and this le- subject, this lesson. But we're, we're trying to, to understand exactly what that is. So I'm going to read the King James again, but then I'm going to read the Weiss translation of these verses, which I did not get to in the last uh, lesson. Uh, so First John chapter 3, verse 16, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's goods, and seeth his brother have need, shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him. How dwelleth the love of God in him, my little children? Let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, uh, I said beloved, uh, so verse 20 is, for if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. And then I'm going to read the Weiss translation that I didn't get to in the last lesson. First uh, John three sixteen. In this we have come to know by experience the aforementioned love, because that one on behalf of us laid down his soul, and as far as we have a moral obligation on behalf of our brethren to lay down our souls. But whoever uh, has as a constant possession the necessities of life and deliberately keeps on contemplating his brother constantly having need and snaps shut his heart from him. How is it possible that the love of God is abiding in him? Little born ones, let us not be loving in the sphere of word, nor even in the sphere of tongue, but in the sphere of deed and truth. In this we shall know experientially that we are out of the truth, and in his presence shall tranquilize our, and in his, and in his presence shall tranquilize our hearts. In whatever our hearts condemn us, because God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. The divinely loved ones, if our heart, hearts are not condemning us, a fearless confidence we constantly have facing God the Father. And whatever we are habitually asking, we keep on receiving from him because his commandments are habitually keeping his solicitous care and the things which are pleasing in his penetrating gaze, we are habitually doing. And this is his commandment, namely, we should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and be habitually loving one another even as he gave a commandment to us. 
And the one who has a, who who has a habit of life exercises a solicitous care in keeping his commandments. In him is abiding, and it, he himself is abiding in him. And in this we know experientially that he is abiding in us from the Spirit as a source whom he gave to us. Now, there's some very, very critical points here. Again, this is Lesson 8, and the title is Love, Living by the Lord's Love. Living by God's Love. And so... He talks about here, and we're in the next few lessons, uh, we'll also talk about uh, loving our brothers. So I'm not going to go into uh, a great discussion uh, in the scope of this half, half hour or so lesson uh, on loving our brother. But he does talk about that love is not a uh, theoretical thing. Love is a practical thing. Uh Agape love is not defined by what we receive. Agape love is defined by what we give. Because if we freely receive God's love, then we're freely going to give God's love. And if we're not freely giving God's love, that's proof we have not freely received God's love. We love Him because He first loved us and we received that love. And if we're not freely given, that's because we don't have anything to give. And if we say we have it, according to 1 John chapter 2, and we're not freely giving, which is obedience to God and loving others, it is, it proves we're a liar and the truth's not in us. We may think we know him, but we don't know him. We may think he loves us, but we, he doesn't love us because he's offered the love and we haven't received it and we're not giving it to him in return. Because we start out as con containers of God because we are filled with His presence. But at some point we're supposed to mature in His love and become conduits for Him to do through us whatever He wants to do to in this world, in prayer, whatever He wants us to do. Whatever He wants us to pray, whatever He wants us to say, Whatever he wants us to do, whatever he wants us to give, that's the, that's the flow that proves that we are maturing in our Christianity. Because those who are only focused on what they're getting from God, better be careful what God has given you that stuff. Because if you're only giving and you hoard what you're giving, then you've got to question whether or not God is actually giving that because if God gives that to you because of His love, He is not going to let you keep it for yourself and not share that with others. And that's exactly what Paul was talking about. Not, uh, not loving just in speech, but in words and actions, or, or excuse me, in actions and in truth. And he says, and hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him because of this flow. He loves us. We let that flow flow from us to others. We receive, we freely give. Matthew chapter 10, verse 8. The principle of the kingdom of God. Freely receive, freely give. Freely receive, freely give. That's the principle of the gospel. That's the principle of the kingdom of God. If I'm not freely giving, then... God and God has the right to question 
what I'm receiving and who I'm receiving it from. Now, he goes on to say this, and I want you to notice he switches here in talking about the love of God to prayer. Because the number one expression of the love of God in us obeying the word of God is prayer. Not just the act of praying, but why we pray, how we pray, how committed we are to prayer, and whether or not he can pray through us. So it says, uh, for if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Well, what would be the condemnation? That he, we have received things from him out of love and we are hoarding them. Well, God's given this to me. I'm keeping it. Well, the idea of God giving to us is not quite the way we look at it. Everything God gives me, life, breath, health, strength, his love, spiritual understanding, spiritual strength, all of that. He's giving to it to me out of love. But the greatest blessing is to give it. Now, Paul, in his writings, uh, I think it was chapter 20 of Acts, I believe, he quoted something that Jesus said you won't find written anywhere the way Paul put it in Acts, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Paul quoted Jesus as saying, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Now, Jesus taught those things, but he never said it exactly like that. But that fits with what John said at the end of the Gospel of John. John 21, 25. There are many other things which Jesus did and said, the which if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. But Paul is quoting Jesus. <laughs> now, he saw Jesus personally on the road to Damascus. He heard Jesus' voice personally, according to the word of God, on the road to Damascus. So we have the right to assume that if he's quoting Jesus and it's not written in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it was something that Jesus said to him personally. And he's quoting it. And it's in the Bible. And we consider it the word of God. And it is the word of God. It's more blessed to give than receive. Why? Well, I received the Holy Ghost in a church where the young people were the altar workers. I was 12 years old. And my experience of the baptism of the Holy Ghost was very powerful. But I learned fairly quickly because the next Sunday night, I received the Holy Ghost Sunday night of my 12th birthday. The next Sunday night, I'm in the altar praying for people to receive the Holy Ghost. And even if I wasn't the primary person working with that person, praying with that person to receive the Holy Ghost, if I was standing there praying with them and I had my hand on them when they actually received the Holy Ghost, what I felt then was even greater. And every time I prayed for somebody that's received the Holy Ghost, I'm feeling it. I get to feel it all over again. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And I'll tell you something else. I talk to God, he and I, and I pray. He and I. I pray. I study the word of God. 
He and I study the word together. We talk about what I'm reading. He explains it to me. Not because I'm special, because he's willing to do that with anybody that wants it. Anybody that wants it. He's no respecter of persons. If you don't choose to receive that, that's between you and him. I'm not going to deny what he's doing for me because you don't want it. And I'm not saying you don't want it, but if you didn't want it, I'm not going to not say what he's doing for me because you don't have it. You can have it if you want it. Praise God. So I, I do all of that. But I'm telling you right now, some of the greatest revelations I've ever received in my life didn't come when it was just me and him talking or him and I talking. Didn't come then. Some of the greatest revelations I ever got in my life was me speaking through him speaking through me to somebody else. In fact, the book uh, or the uh, uh, the revelation of shame that is the foundation of and the outline of everything I have taught and ministered on shame and is the outline of the syllabus, that hasn't changed since the 16th of February, 1993. And God gave me the revelation of shame in church Sunday night church service, February the 15th. And I had a counseling session on Sunday on Monday afternoon with an individual, happened to be a lawyer, and he said, what was that all about last night? And I opened my mouth, and for the next hour plus, the Holy Ghost put things together in my mind in flowing to him that I had never put together before. And in fact, when our conversation was over, I went, uh, from that conference room where we were talking into my office, sat down at my desk and began to write. And the Lord let me remember every point he made in that hour plus conversation with that man. And that was the revelation of shame. It came to me first. Now, I'd read all those verses before I'd studied all that, but the Lord put them together in a way where they created a picture that I could see. I could see that revelation. He was willing to do that. Now, going to the point here, isn't it amazing that when the Lord talks about loving God, and he talks about loving God be keeping his word, that the example he chose as the key example for loving God by obeying his word is prayer. And he's saying that if I'm not letting the love of God flow through me, and I'm generalizing the, the or, or, or discussing the principle that the Lord was speaking of the application for our benefit about not loving in, uh, in just words, saying to a brother, I love you, be warmed and filled, James said, and not do anything for the person that's cold and hungry, my brother that's cold and hungry, that I'm not doing the will of God. I'm not doing the will of God if I do that. And so therefore, the point being here, he picked... Loving others as a, a, a demonstration of the flow of the love of God through us, receiving the love and giving the love. And it's more blessed to give the love than it is to receive. Because by doing that, if I'm a container of God, I'm only filled with God. That The word filled automatically implies a limited amount of, of God I can have. Not because he's limited, but because I'm limited in being able to receive him. But when the bottom is out of that container, that container then becomes a 
a conduit. And now there's no limit to the amount of God that can flow through me. That is the the blessing, the abundant blessing of being a conduit because it all passes through. And I get to taste it as it passes through. And I get to, to, to fellowship with it as it passes through. And I get to receive from it as it passes through. And so there's a blessing, a great blessing in giving. But then he took that principle and showed the most important way to apply it. Hereby we know of the truth if our, and, and shall assure our hearts before him if we are loving our brother. If our hearts, for if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Those three verses are talking about prayer. They're talking about the assurance of the effectiveness of prayer. Prayer works. Prayer always works. Biblical prayer always works as long as our heart doesn't condemn us. And what is it that condemns our heart? Not obeying the word of God. So we want to pray, and biblical prayer is the love of God ministering through us to whatever need we're praying for. That's the will of God. That's what prayer is. It's not just telling God all the things we want Him to do, and I'll check back with you later, see how you're doing on that, Lord. That's not what it is. It's not some religious exercise or obligation. It is supernatural, divine communication between God and me. But the ultimate goal of that is, first of all, I fellowship with him. But then second of all, he flows through me. I've used it many times in lessons I've been teaching in this studio and other places. Psalm 1611. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. And at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. So the first purpose of prayer is for the Lord and I to fellowship. The second person of pre- purpose of prayer is for me to be a conduit for the right hand or the authority and power of God to flow through me. And there is pleasure. There is spiritual pleasure in being trusted to be a conduit where God speaks through you in ministering things. Whether he's speaking through you in Rhema, that he's giving you to speak in your own language, the language of your mind, or whether he's speaking through you in another language where he is doing the praying through you according to Romans chapter 8 verses 26-27. This is, this is obeying God. This is loving God. This is letting God love through us. Now the entire next series is going to be the second commandment, God loving through us. So this series is the first commandment, loving us, loving God. So at this point in this time, I'm talking about primarily here, us participating with God in prayer because the word of God commands it, expects it, God expects it, and he's flowing through us to do his will. That's the will of God. That's the word of God. That's the plan of God. And so, he is, and I want to clarify one point here. 
Notice very carefully what verse 22 says. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So is this some kind of blank check to get what we want from God? Fix this. Don't let this happen. Give me this. Do this. Is that what that's talking about? Nah. Because if I've received God's love, I belong to God. And if I'm loving God by obeying his word, and here's the word, and doing and do those things that are pleasing in his sight, what does that mean? That means I have give my, given myself completely to his will, not my will. So it, whatsoever we ask, if I have given myself to his will, I'm not praying for anything out of his will. So the word ask there is a petition offered, or it's speaking the word of faith in prayer for it to happen. Well, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, the rhema of God. So I hear rhema, and I speak rhema. We call that ministry, but it's also the same exact type ministry works in prayer. When there's nobody present but me and God, I can minister in prayer just like I minister to this camera lens and to you, and I minister in front of a group of people. I'm hearing and speaking, hearing and speaking. It's called ministry when I'm talking to people. It's called prayer when it's the Lord and I doing it. And again, it's ministry. It's the ministry of prayer. There is the fellowship of prayer and the ministry of prayer. I don't have life. I don't have spiritual life unless I have both of those. Because in fellowship prayer, I'm receiving. In ministry prayer, I'm giving what I receive. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's the will of God. I receive from God, I give to God. That's the greatest commandment. In fact, that's the two greatest commandments, which are in perfect harmony. And the reason the second commandment is second is because it doesn't work without the first. That's why this entire series of lessons is on the first commandment. So I am closing out this lesson again with these last two verses. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in God. And as... First John chapter 2 said, as we looked at a few of those verses, 2 through 5, we say we know God and we don't keep his commandments. The truth's not in us. We're liars. And we're not in God and he's not in us. Because God can't be untrue to himself. And he's not going to abide in someone who is not progressing toward giving themselves completely and wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, to him.
He's not going to abide there. He's not. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. So if I keep the commandments of God, I dwell in God. And God abides in me. We're one. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given to us. So many people are trying to obey the word of God without receiving the spirit scripturally. They have not been given the spirit. They're still walking in an Old Testament relationship with God. God may be with them, but he is not in them by his own definitions. Not by doctrine or some church's doctrine or creed, but by the biblical definition of what it means for the Spirit of God to be in you. And it was first, the Holy Ghost was first given on the day of Pentecost. And the book of Acts is full of examples of people receiving the Holy Ghost, which is being given to them. And I don't have the Holy Ghost unless I've received it biblically. And there's no example of anybody receiving the Holy Ghost any other way than the way the book of Acts does. Because the four Gospels, the Holy Ghost wasn't yet. John chapter 7, verses 37 through 33, In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this, John explained by the Holy Ghost, spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, not had received, because it should receive. But the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. He had to be de- he had to be crucified, buried, resurrected, and ascended into heaven to be glorified. And according to Acts chapter 2, Peter said that when he ascended into heaven, he's the one that poured out the Spirit. And John the Baptist promised that in John in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Jesus is the Holy Ghost baptizer. But the Holy Ghost was not yet, was not yet available. It was not yet given in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Nobody received the baptism, the New Testament experience of the baptism of the Holy Ghost in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And every book written after the book of Acts is written to those who have already received the Holy Ghost. Everybody. Every one of those books is written to save people. They're addressed by the the, the scribe who is writing down what the Holy Ghost is giving them, it's all addressed to saved people. So the only book in the Bible that tells us how people actually receive the Spirit, Holy Ghost and gives us examples of people who receive the Holy Ghost is the book of Acts. And I do not have the Holy Ghost unless I've received the Holy Ghost just like they did. And when the first Gentiles received the Holy Ghost in chapter 10... Peter was called on the carpet in Acts chapter 11, and he said, wait a minute, God gave them the Holy Ghost just like he gave to us. And then in chapter 15, before the church council, Peter said, uh, it, it, it was some time ago, God made choice among us that he would, that, that, the, but, that the Gentiles by my mouth would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God put no difference between us and them, giving them the Holy Ghost 
uh, excuse me, and God bore witness to them, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. So we have the word of God in the book of Acts that says that while each one of us may have a little different experience, the, 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 the commonality of receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost is the same for everybody according to the principles established in the book of Acts. But if I have not received the Spirit of Christ given to me, the Holy Ghost given to me, by that example, I do not have the Spirit, and He is not abiding in me. That's what the Word of God says. I just read it. I pray today, I pray, that you and I would let, would let the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the grace of God, the love of God work in us to help us to understand the love of God and to experience the love of God and give ourselves to God in obedience to His Word. And one of the main ways to obey Him in Word is to submit ourselves to Him and participate with Him in his presence in prayer and as his conduit in prayer where his right hand can do great works. And those things that he will speak and pray through us, uh, we can have confidence he is going to do them if our heart doesn't condemn us because we're missing the mark or sinning according to his word. God bless you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Receive this from the Lord. Amen.